Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. I've been looking forward to this, so, <clears throat> sorry, um, if, I'm, if I'm extra weepy today, um, yesterday I got an eye injury, I'm not just joking, I actually did, <laughs> from the weed eater, so, um, so my eyes are extra red, and it's allergy season, and I'm here with you, and so forgive the extra waterworks. Today, I actually got a paper towel just in case uh, we need some extra that the tissues don't do. So um, we're going to be in Acts uh, again together. Acts chapter 15, we're going to be finishing out uh, Acts chapter 15. We'll be in verses 36 through 41. And uh, the, the last time we were together, hopefully you guys have been following along. Hopefully there's people following along right, right now. I didn't put the link on the Facebook page, so if someone wants to do that, you can do that. Um, but, uh, but hopefully everybody's got the link and, and they're watching along with us today. But uh, last we were together, uh, we saw Barnabas and Paul go through another, yet another trial, right? And um, they were, in, in the last story, they were in Jerusalem debating the topic of grace. Remember that? And things fell out to their favor, and, uh, and everybody, all the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem recognized uh, the validity of uh, grace through faith as a simple reception for the Gentiles, that, that no law needed to be added to that, no work needed to be added to that, but simply that, that Jesus dispensed his Holy Spirit for all those who simply put their faith in, in him. And, and so they took that word back to Antioch, to their church, and there was celebration, and they were really excited and so Paul and Barnabas have been kind of in a season of rest at this point. They're hanging out in Antioch. They're edifying the people. That's kind of where we've left off. And we're going to be talking today about fighting for unity, fighting for unity. And that's, that's the name of today's message. And before we get started, I, I want to say this, that, that we have to not forget that unity is worth fighting for. Um, I think a lot of us are convinced that, that unity is like, kind of like riding a bicycle, right? And in our time apart from one another, uh, in this time of isolation and uh, quarantining ourselves, as though as we start coming back to church, that unity is just going to be this natural thing, and we're going to pick up where we left off, and, uh, and we're going to jump right back in, and we're going to love each other. There's going to be a huge celebration, and clearly, look around, that's not true. That's not quite how this thing is unfolding, and, and I want to remind you that unity is something that you have to constantly be working towards. It's a constant thing that you have to reckon and, and handle and work through because relationships are always complicated. They're always complicated. And there will always be moments in ministry and in relationship with one another where, where the adversary finds a way to create division. And we're going to have opportunities to buy into lies 
that cause small and minor infractions, minor divisions. And the worst death is a death of a thousand small cuts, right? And that's how, that's how ministries usually fall apart. That's how ministry works usually fall apart. It's not usually, uh, it's not often that it's one just big doctrinal thing that causes splits in churches. Sometimes that happens. But a lot of times it's, it's many, many things that build up over time that cause divisions, lack of communication. And, and I want to warn you, even right now in our time of isolation, that when we come back together, it's going to be absolutely crucial for us to learn again how to work out complex relationships in ministry. And that's what today's going to be about. Uh, I think a lot of us have experienced losing close friends to stupid things. I mean, I think if we look back on our childhood especially, when we're young, it's often, you know, on the playground, uh, on the basketball court, uh, I don't know, playing 2K, uh, little, little things, little moments where when you're young, you have relationships that fall apart. And when you look back in time and you think about those situations, you think, how, how did I even lose that friend? You know, I don't know. If you're like me, you've got relationships that kind of just disintegrated over time. And it's hard to put your finger on one thing that caused it. A lot of times it was many, many little small things uh, that, that drew you apart. Now, today we're going to talk about what divided Paul and Barnabas in ministry. Um, and we're going to find out today that Paul and Barnabas also have difficulty in their relationships. Two men that we highly, highly revere, that we look to as, remember, we've talked about this over and over again. Paul is our ensample as New Testament believers. He's the one that we look to. And uh, we see today a very painful disagreement that ends up dividing these two dear brothers. And we're going to look at that very closely today. And we're going to talk about ways in which we can avoid that type of division in ministry. Let's pray and then let's get into it, can we? Are you guys awake and alive with me? Yeah. All right, all the ninjas in the room, say amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And uh, God, we even thank you for our time apart because uh, it does afford us the opportunity to love one another through distance and to choose love and to choose relationship and to choose endeavoring. Uh, and that is, a, that is a good thing. And it hardens our resolve towards one another. Strife and, 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 and difficulty and trial teach us how to, to tighten our bonds. Uh, but Lord, it's in the quiet moments. It's in the, in, in the quietness of ministry. It's in our times of rest that sometimes we look at one another sideways. And we, and we, we uh, in the quietness of our heart, we can begin to despise each other. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn how to defend against that. And Lord, that you would teach us from your word today what it means to persevere in relationship with one another, not just for the sake of the mission alone, but also because we're dear to, to each other. And because, uh, because we're bound together by your spirit, there's something, there's something very, very special about the love that the church has as individuals for one another, as the bride of Christ uh, is bound by a vow. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to protect that at Midtown Baptist Temple. And as we continue to plant churches all over the world, Lord, let that, that binding continue to take place and that we would continue to pursue one another with fiercity and in love. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's look at verse 36 and let's, let's look at the situation that we have before us. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Now let's pause there for just a moment. Side note, this is what we ought to do as well. As we continue to plant churches all over, it's going to be our responsibility, brothers and sisters, not the pastors of this church's responsibility, our responsibility as members to reach out to the church in Tampa and say, I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. It's going to be our responsibility as individuals to make sure that we're taking trips to Boston and to Costa Rica and to different places where we've planted churches and to go and encourage them. That's our job. And we have to take that really, really seriously. And now notice that it doesn't say anything about going there to teach them anymore necessarily. It's talking about going and, and visiting the brethren and see how they're doing. Right? They've established the teachers. They've discipled the men who are going to be the pastors in those cities. They're going to check in. That's what they're doing. If they've got to do some teaching, they'll do some teaching. But primarily the job is to go and visit them the way brothers and sisters love each other and know each other and encourage each other and simply just to check in and say, hey, how are you? I'm here for you. What do you need? And that is the way we ought to be going and visiting our sister churches, particularly as we continue to plant them over time. Continuing on, verse 37, And Barnabas determined, strong word, to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. You guys remember Mark? And Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another, uh, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So Barnabas says, so, so, you know, they've been hanging out. They've been hanging out in Antioch. And as missionaries do, they grow restless. I mean, that's, that, there's a restlessness in the heart of a missionary to go, right? And they're, they're hanging out in Antioch, and it's good, and it's been refreshing, and it's been an encouraging time. But now they, they're, they're ready for another adventure, and so they, they confer with one another. Let, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Oh, well, I'm going to bring, Barnabas says, I'm going to bring Mark with us. I'm going to bring Mark with us. Now, if you remember, Mark had previously been traveling with Paul and Barnabas on that, the front half of that first missionary journey. You guys remember that? So John Mark is family of Barnabas, and he was a young, growing believer. And they said to themselves, hey, on this first missionary journey, this is an awesome opportunity for us to disciple Mark. Let's bring him along. And they travel to Cyprus. And if you remember, they have a few bumps along the way. There's a, there's a sorcerer in Cyprus that causes them some trouble. And then they, they set sail. And we have reason to believe that the, the, the travel between Cyprus and Asia Minor was probably pretty rough. And when they land in Pamphylia, they're looking around at each other and they're like, man, this has not been very easy. And John Mark says, hey guys, this has really not been what I, this is not what I expected. This is not what I, I thought I was signing up for. And as a young believer, he chooses not to endeavor on and he goes back home to Jerusalem and he departs from them. Okay, now what we're not told in the story necessarily at that moment is that something happens in Paul's heart there's a frustration that takes place towards Mark, and, and maybe rightfully so. You look at the situation and you say, well, John, Mark, uh, he abandoned them, and he wasn't ready. And so in Paul's discernment, he says, well, man, that's jacked. Okay, but they continue on in their adventure. 
But now, here they are again, and they're ready to go out on another missionary journey. And Paul's got a bad taste in his mouth. And when Barnabas brings up Mark, man, it just stirs something up in Paul. And he's saying to himself, I can't even believe you're bringing that dude's name up. I can't even believe that that's what we're talking about right now. The passage says that contention was sharp between them. And if you study that phrase out and you study it in the Greek, what we learn is that they argued to the, to the point of aggressive and emotional display. Now, all of us have been in situations where we've, we've had arguments to the point of emotional display, right? Where we raise our voice and we get angry. But, but when that happens in, in, in male relationships, there's something really unique about it. I think all the guys could probably agree. I think even one time me and Alex got into it to the point where we're like, ugh, remember at Foxbox that one time? This is how, <laughs> remember that? That's how dudes do. They're like, oh, and they get, they get riled up. Now, I've been in situations, not that situation, I've been in situations with friends where you think you're going to go blows, right? And it's absolutely absurd. And if, we're, if we look at this, the contention was sharp between them and we look at this, they're on the edge of physical altercation here. Now, the, the question we have to ask is, what in the heck could have caused this kind of drama? How could two men who were so, so closely connected to one another be so easily divided? That's, and it's a really fair question to ask. Where do these situations tend to go? Where do we let these situations go for them the, 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 the contention was sharp, so sharp that it caused division. Now, if you remember, these guys were just, uh, weren't just ministry acquaintances, right? These guys aren't just, you know how you have ministry acquaintances, people at church that you don't know real well, but you serve on the same ministry team, maybe it's the hospitality team, you give each other the nod, you pray together every once in a while, you know, you don't know them that well. You know, that's just how ministry goes. There's, there's ministry acquaintances, Right? These guys weren't just acquaintances. These dudes were comrades. They were brothers, two men who were deep friends, who sacrificed everything together. Now, if you remember, before uh, Paul was saved, uh, Paul, let's go back in time. Can we do that for a second? Let's go back and talk about what connected these guys. If you remember before Paul was saved, when he was still Saul, living as Saul, uh, his responsibility in ministry, in the, in, in the Jewish uh, ministry that he was espoused to was to go and to break up Christian gatherings. And he would, he would go and he would take bands of Jews to go and arrest Christians. And he was at one point even responsible uh, as, uh, for the death of Stephen. He was complicit in the death of Deacon Stephen, right? You remember that story? So he had this reputation that surrounded him. And, and when he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on the road to Damascus, you remember, he didn't just shed that reputation very easily, did he? Now, he ministered for three years before he found himself going to Jerusalem. Remember that? Right? He was going around. He's preaching in Damascus. He was going and getting discipled. He was in the desert hanging out with Jesus, right? But after a while, he goes to Jerusalem to meet the other apostles, which seems like an appropriate thing to do. If you're an apostle, there has to be a reckoning, right? You want that brotherhood. So he shows up in Jerusalem, and everybody's looking at him like this dude, ha like, like this dude for sure has COVID, right? <laughs> They're looking at him like that. They're keeping their distance. They don't want any part because they know his reputation. Now listen to me. 
When Paul needed a friend most, who was there for him? Barnabas was there for him. Barnabas was the first person to make Paul feel welcome in Jerusalem. And he didn't just make him feel welcome. He went to the other disciples in Jerusalem and testified of how God used Paul in Damascus and how he preached the same gospel, encouraging them to accept him and to receive him. And they do. Barnabas was the person that was the bridge builder. He was the man of peace. He was the man of rest. He was the man of consolation. The bridge builder that brought Paul into the fold with the other disciples. So Barnabas went to bat for Paul when he needed friendship the very most. Now, there was a time when Barnabas needed a friend as well, didn't he? Sometime later on, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem were hanging out and they were talking and they were like, hey, do you guys see what's going on? Have you heard these reports of what's going on in Antioch? Right, you guys remember this? And they're talking to one another and like, man, guys, Gentiles are getting saved left and right. We gotta do something about this. There's hundreds of new believers there. Let's send our very best to Antioch to make sure those folks are getting discipled right, that they're learning the word of God. These are Gentiles uh, and primarily and they don't really know uh, what's right. They don't know the word of God. Let's go and teach it to them. Let's send Barnabas. And now Barnabas goes and he starts establishing a work. And he's encouraging the people. And he's making an investment and and lives are being changed. But he starts looking around and he's realizing, man, the work is too big for me. The work's too big. I need someone who has wisdom that can come alongside me, preferably a person who's good at teaching, good at discipling, good at sharpening. You know who I need? I need Paul. And so he goes to Tarsus to find Paul and bring him to Antioch where Paul can make an investment. And the two of them disciple the people in Antioch for a whole year. You guys remember that? So what happens? Paul stood in the gap and was present for Barnabas when he needed a friend the most. Do you see what happened there? Barnabas gave of himself, sacrificed his own reputation to bring Paul in and to love him. And when Barnabas needed a friend to come alongside him in the work, he reached out to Paul and Paul was there for him in the work and they endeavored together. This is what friends in ministry do. This is how we're bound together. Now, not only that, after they minister for a year, the elders in the church of Antioch are looking at one another and we're like, they're like, the work is big There's believers everywhere. They're popping up all over the Gentile world. Now we need to send some people to go handle this work. And as we look around, it's clear to us that Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit is converting. Paul and Barnabas are the ones that are supposed to go. And so they pray over them, they lay hands, they ordain them, and they send them out. And Paul and Barnabas go. And and we've been looking at this over the last few months. We've been looking at all the things that God has done in Paul and Barnabas' life. That first missionary journey was amazing. There were victories around every corner. Victories where they, the two of them could celebrate. You know the moment? I've been watching The Last Dance, okay? This is the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And you, you see the things that bind a team together. It's never perfect, right? It's never perfect. But there's something about teammates that they can just look at each other and they, they can read each other's mind. I mean, sports are like that, right? You're out on the court. And over time, you build this thing where you give a guy a look and he knows that that means that you need to cut to the basket, right? You give a guy, a guy the right look and you know that, he, okay, we got to move the ball that direction. And there's these looks that you give each other when your teammates 
And I just imagine them. They've got the, there's so much victory and there's so much awesome stuff going on. And, the, and there's quiet moments where they look at each other and they say, look at what God's doing. That's the kind of friendship they had. And it's a friendship that even when things got dark, even when things were difficult, now listen to me. I don't know if you remember, but in Acts chapter 15, the men in Jerusalem ascribed the following statement to Paul and Barnabas. It says, these were men that hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's what was attributed to them, that these were men that together hazarded their lives for the sake of the gospel. And so they endured beatings and threatenings. They were kicked out of the temple. They were shipwrecked. This is the type of stuff that these guys went through together. They were a great team. They were a great team. One of the, one of the greatest teams in the history of, of spiritual history. The, this is a team that was, this is, this is, this is better than Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. This is greater than that story. They respected each other. And they worked well together. So why does the band break up? How could something like this happen? How could they let this conflict tear them apart? The, you know, the, the Bible doesn't gloss over this story. Have you noticed that? I, you know what? There's, we've got to recognize this, that there's so many cool things the Bible talks about. But when the Bible doesn't gloss over people's dirty laundry, then we need to take very careful attention to that because there's a warning there for us. And the Bible here, when Luke makes this record of what happened between Paul and Barnabas, there's a reason why he's doing that. There's a reason why he's saying this is what happened because there's a warning in it for us. Their conflict, listen, their conflict was not over sin or doctrine. These men hadn't entertained heresy. This wasn't a moral issue, was it? These men were above reproach. These were two men of high character. I mean, we, we, we've, seen mini, we've seen ministries fall apart because of bad doctrine and heresy, right? That's all over the news, right? M moral debauchery, tearing a church apart. That's all over the news. We see that all the time. That's not the case here. These are two men that, listen to me, had merely a difference of strategic opinion. They had a difference in which way the team should go. And I believe that this was avoidable. I believe that this division was completely avoidable. This could have been avoided because it was a minor disagreement. Now listen to me. It could have been avoided. Listen, this is, this is the point I want to make to you today. This event, this division could have been avoided if they would have approached each other the right way all along the journey. This moment could have been avoided if all along the way there were certain habits, certain nuances to the relationship that they would have protected and guarded and made right. You know, it's always the little things that seem to cause the most problems, isn't it? You know, Every year in the world, 60,000 people die of natural disasters. Did you know that? 
Every year, floods, hurricanes, storms, uh, you know, whatever it is, tornadoes, 60,000 people die worldwide. And yet, COVID-19 is something that we can hardly even see. It requires a microscope, a high-powered microscope to see it. And it's already killed four times that many people. It's the small things, isn't it? It's the little things, isn't it? It's the little things that cause the biggest problems. And now it's, now it's Asian hornets. You know what I mean? They've got all of North America afraid. These things aren't any bigger than my thumb, right? And they've got the entire world freaking out. Murder hornets is what I hear people referring to them. They're about this big, right? It's the little things. It's the little things that bring fear. It's the little things that cause us to be divided. Isn't this, for those of us who are in relationships, maybe dating relationships or married, you know this, right? It's the little things that get under your skin and if they go undealt with over time, what they do is they cause serious problems. Remember that. It's always the little things that erode at the fabric of our unity. Have you guys seen erosion, how it takes place? Erosion doesn't usually happen overnight, right? It's the rains of years after years that cause erosion on the side of a hill. And I think that this is actually very true about Paul and Barnabas' situation as well. It was the little things. Their weaknesses are exposed for us. There were weaknesses in their friendship that caused this problem long before the conflict actually came. It was, their, it was the small cracks in their armor. So we're going to talk real quick about fr- fragility and familiarity in family. Okay? Fragility and familiarity in family. Right? We're a family, correct? Well, there's fragility in our relationship. There are small minor aspects of our relationship that if we don't, if we don't go about mending them will cause divisions among us. And one of those things can be the nature of our familiarity with one another. After two and a half years of ministering together, year after year, these men certainly knew everything about one another, didn't they? In ministry, they, they, you know, they camped together, right? I assume that they were camping because Paul made tents. I don't know, I just assume that they're like, they're camping together. They're building fires together, right? They're farting in each other's presence, okay? That's for Sam. I'm throwing that in there for Sam, Right? And they know, each, they know each other, right? They're hanging out. They're, it's like they're locker room buddies. They know what's going on, right? And they have that kind of, uh, they have that kind of camaraderie. They, they, they see each other. They see each other in their strengths, and they see each other in their weakest moments as well. What sets this person off? They see these things. But in this moment, a moment of rest, isn't it? They're in Antioch. It's a moment of rest, contemplation. Suddenly, they allowed what would have amounted to a minor discrepancy They allow it to be magnified. And their love was set aside. And the contention and trial that was once upon them was now fostered within their relationship. So in other words, this little minor trial was allowed to be magnified. A molehill became a mountain. And they allowed themselves to put their love for one another aside for a moment to entertain this division. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirreth up strifes. But love covereth all sins. 
You know, once upon a time, Barnabas was the one guy that could look past Paul's issues. You know, Paul was kind of a brash, right? We see this. He was kind of brash, bold, intense in his behavior. And once upon a time, Barnabas was the one guy in the world that could look at him and say, hey, man, I see something in you. You're my boy. We're tight. And I can look past the fact that you're that way. And once upon a time, Paul was the one guy that could see that, that, that when uh, Barnabas's meek spirit allowed him to get walked all over, Paul could look past that and say, okay, no big deal. Once upon a time. That's the kind of friendship they had. But they had somehow magnified their minor issues. And they couldn't see the forest through the trees. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. You know, I wonder how many of us have allowed our perspectives of the brethren to be tainted because of minor issues, minor flaws that we see in each other, just because of familiarity, just because of proximity, just because of time in ministry together. We can see the weaknesses in one another, but some of us have allowed ourselves to fall prey to, to wicked perspectives, and we hold silently, we don't even know we're doing it, contention in our heart. And you know what? We have a danger of storing up those ideas until the moment that we can pull them out of our back pocket and stab our brother with them. We are all in danger of doing that. And, we, and we, it's only natural that we see one another's weaknesses, but the question is, are we going to use that as ammunition against one another in the right moment? Or does this mean that we have an opportunity to die to self, engage our brethren in humility, and let love build unity despite the differences and weaknesses that we all have? We all have them. Here's key point number one. The secret to sustainable ministry is loving and serving despite our shortcomings. That's the secret. Now, I think that, I think that all of us could, for a long time, minister together just simply for the mission's sake, right? I think a lot of us could just endeavor for the mission's sake. But in time, if our character isn't right, if something is off in our character... The mission isn't going to be enough to bind us to one another because we're going to see things in each other that we hate, that we despise. Even in our pastors, we're going to see flaws. We're going to see aspects of who they are that are weaknesses. And if we don't understand that, one another, that we all have shortcomings and that if we want this thing to be sustainable, that we have to die to the things about each other that we don't like or don't agree upon... If we can't look past those shortcomings in time, we will not recover from the damage done to our armor. And we will be susceptible. And so do not let your familiarity with one another in ministry. There's some of you in this room that I've known for 10 years. I've known Eric for 20 years. Dang, bro. <laughs> oh. And, and, and guess what, Eric maybe more than anyone in the ministry at this church knows my weaknesses. But you know what I have with Eric that we've cultivated over time? It's been, I mean, early on, I would say that, that, that Eric and I probably, we were not suitable friends early on. 
But the thing that we did together is that we endeavored. And we chose despite the differences in musical preference, in garb, in, you know, where we eat. And, the, you know, these minor things or, you know, the way he says this one thing just drives me crazy. Right? Or whatever. He, certainly he's got a list a, a mile long about me. But that despite all those things, that what we do together is we choose to look past those things and encourage each other the right direction. We're friends despite differences. We have to actively choose that. It has to be conscientious. It's not like riding a bike. You have to practice it. It's a continual practice. And it gets more and more complex over time. The more ministry changes, it changes right out from underneath your feet. Sometimes ministry changes like that. And in those moments, you have to be willing to look past each other's shortcomings. You know, this is most common when we're not focused on the ministry work itself that these divisions rise up. Oddly enough, we are at our weakest when the pressures of ministry are relieved for a moment. When our guard is down and we're no longer dependent on God's strength to get ministry done, right? Suddenly our focus turns toward the little things, things that are important. We have to keep our eyes on the mission in order to avoid making a mess of our family. The ministry keeps, it is a fire inside of us that says, you know what, I I recognize that there's a pressure on Eric and I to be friends. It's not just that we want to be friends. That happens over time. But there's a pressure upon us as leaders in ministry. We have to be friends. And so we got to work for it. The next thing is the folly of favoritism. The folly of favoritism. You know, another issue that we see here is is one we often see in our ministry and in our lives as well. It's the tendency to let favoritism blind us. Favoritism can blind us. In the case of Barnabas, Mark was his nephew. Colossians 4.10 tells us that, that he's family. And certainly his love for his nephew whether for good or for bad, right, would have clouded his judgment. Family has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Now we often, just like Paul and just like Barnabas, let our preference or our favoritism do the very same thing. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing situations with sobriety and open-mindedness because we are too busy defending a person or a position. Have you ever thought about that? We do a lot of that in ministry in our flesh, don't we? We defend a person. We, we, you know, we hold, maybe it's a disciple. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a disciple that you disciple, right? You want to think the best of them. And so you're prone to bias in their direction. And when the moment comes, and the contention comes, you unrightfully defend them. Or maybe you abandon them. When someone comes and whispers this thing in your ear about how so-and-so, and you don't do due diligence and you let a thing divide you from your disciple. And we have these preferences in terms of people in ministry, you know, our besties in ministry. And we kind of, what we do is we'll, we'll move them and shift them and put them in categories. We're like, this is, these are my closest. And we don't do it, but there's this thing in our mind. These are the people that I'm closest to. And, and you know, I would defend them till I die. And then, but, and then it, it, what it does is it causes a, causes a fogginess in terms of sobriety and spiritual discernment. The same thing is true with positions. We can take a position in ministry, an idea, right? A concept. And we defend that thing to the death. 
oh, I want, you know what? I want to do this thing in ministry. And we, we vaunt it up in our heart and in our mind. And suddenly, when it doesn't work out in ministry the way we imagined it would, we defend that thing till we die and it causes division. You know, there's one thing I've learned from being in ministry is that a lot of, a lot of the things that I've, I'm, I'm prone to being enthusiastic about, they're not always the things that the other pastors are very enthusiastic about. Why? Oh, because we're different. Right? And if we play favorites, do we only, we only, we're only one step away from prejudice and partiality in ministry. If we play the game of favorites, we're only one step away from prejudice. You know, Paul actually warns Timothy of prejudicial thinking in 1 Timothy. When discussing how to decide who should be promoted in ministry, he gives Timothy this warning. He says, hey, bro, there's one thing you need to really watch out for. When, when you're looking at, at men and women in the ministry and you're thinking about moving and shifting anything, you have to be really careful of this one thing. It's, it's called partiality. Because if you let your partialness uh, lead you in decision making, you're going to promote the wrong people along the way. 1 Timothy 5.21 says, I charge thee, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one another before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. In other words, don't show people preferences, but use objective spiritual observation in order to determine where one should be placed within ministry. So that's a warning for Timothy, but we can heed that warning as well, can't we? That if we let our prejudice get in the way, we're going to make bad decisions. We're going to be unsober. We're going to cause harm and division where it ought not be. So key point number two, listen. The secret to stable ministry is to overturn individual preferences and take up the cross. The key to stable ministry. I mean, we're talking about, again, ministry over time. Ministry that reproduces. Ministry that plants new churches. Ministry that builds new ministry. Ministry that evangelizes to new parts of our city. Ministry that's sustainable and stable to do the work. Has to be one where the individuals in the ministry die to the things that they're set upon. Their, their, their tendencies. Their, their partiality. We have to put those things aside and take up the cross and die for our brother's sake. You know, I have a thousand bad ideas. I've got a thousand bad ideas. And God uses the other pastors in this church to guard you from them. But you know what? I have a thousand good ideas too. That God didn't even need to get the mission done. Good ideas that I had to set aside that could have worked. But guess what? We'll never know. Because God had something else in mind. And I have to die to those things. The goal isn't to be right, y'all. That's not the right. Or that's not the goal. The goal is not to be right or to win something. Two men who lived in a small village. Got a story for you. Two men who lived in a small village got into a terrible dispute that they could not resolve. So they decided to talk to the town sage, which is, I guess, like the wise old man in the city. 
okay? Apparently, Eric and I are the sages in this, in this crowd. It's like the old guy that's hanging out. I imagine he's sitting on his front porch, and he's like whittling something. Now, the first man went to the sage's home and told his version of what happened. And when he finished, the sage said, you're absolutely right. The next night, the second man called on the sage and told his side of the story. And the sage responded, you're absolutely right. Afterward, the sage's wife scolded her husband. Those men, you told two different, uh, those men told you two different stories, and you told them they were both absolutely right. That's impossible. They can't both be absolutely right. The sage turned to his wife and said, you're absolutely right. <laughs> See, the, the point isn't to be right. Lots of people can be right. Two people, Paul and Barnabas could both be right. That's not the point. See, God knows. God knows. I don't have to have the things my way. God knows I don't need to be right. But you know what I do need? Unity. I need unity. And I need to endeavor for unity for the mission's sake and for the joy of my own spirit. If anything offends the mission, it ought to be plucked out and cut off. That has to be our mentality. So what's the way to unity? You know, in most cases in church, in most cases, things can be dealt with, disunity can be dealt with very, very simply. Simple conversations where where love is promoted, people listen to each other, they seek to understand each other. You know what, though? There's sometimes, there's sometimes in ministry where things, where, where, where things arise, conflict arises, and it's impossible to do that. And so I want to briefly just address that. There are times in ministry where someone has to be sat down and they got to be checked hard. And that sucks. No one wants to do that, but there's some times where it has to happen. Romans 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. And offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them, for they that are, that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We can't let that go on, folks. There are times in ministry where the pastors have to step up and say, you don't, this person doesn't get to sleep with their girlfriend week in and week out and have that kind of character and that kind of disregard for the word of God and continue to be members of this church because it's only ultimately going to what? Cause division. So we've got to sit that person down and address that issue. There are going to be times where people have some sort of teaching that's contrary to the words of Jesus Christ and they've got to be sat down and they've got to be dealt with. There's no way around it. That's scriptural. Sometimes we've got to do that. But listen to me. That's like 1%. That's like half a percent of the time. It's so rare. That, that has to happen. You know what? The majority of divisions that take place in our ministry can be dealt with very, very simply. We can, we can, we can work things out in private. We can protect integrity. We can restore ourselves to single-mindedness. But we have to recognize that first and foremost, we're going to be different in a million ways. We're going to be different from each other. That that can't bother us. Those differences can't bother us. And differences can can, can cause many different ways of thinking, can't they? Okay, so let's, let's, just for a second. So Paul, 
had the mind, he had the mind to reach the whole world. And in his mind, he wouldn't let anything get in the way of that. Nothing's going to get in the way of that. I'm, this is the mission that God's called me to do, and not even John Mark is going to get in the way with that. You've got to hear me on that, Barnabas. You've got to hear me. That's my mind. Now, Barnabas is looking at Paul, and he's like, bro, it's my mind that we restore Mark. I mean, isn't that what, I mean, that's what the mission, that's part of the mission, right? We should restore Mark. Here he is. He just needs some help. He just needs us to love on him and give him some time. He's going to be cool. Guess what? Both of them were freaking right. In every way. They were both right. But listen to me. They were different, but they were right. Now hold up. The one area that they weren't right is neither of them had the mind to be unified. Oh, they had a mind to reach the world. They had a mind to restore, but they didn't have a mind to be singular in the way that they thought. And they were both right in their own ways. But if they would have been willing to sacrifice their perspective, the contention could have been avoidable. This testimony could have been avoidable. And they may have even gone separate ways. Paul could have looked at at Barnabas and said, you know what? Man, you know what? I hear you. Um, I'm just not in that place. I don't think that's what the Lord has for me right now. And, and, And that might be your responsibility. And so you know what? Let's peaceably go. And we'll meet up somewhere along the way. But for now, I'll leave, I'll re- leave the responsibility to disciple Mark to you. And you guys can go to Cyprus, and I'll go this direction. And we don't have to agree, but we have to have unity. We have to have unity because I love you, and I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to give up everything for you. That's the way we've always lived. Let's not let this get in the way. But that's not what happened, right? Here's point three. We don't need to agree. We don't need to agree. Okay, God knows, even on the pastoral staff, we don't always agree. We don't need to agree, but we do need to be single-minded. We do have to be single-minded. We have to be unified. And that means someone's got to die. Someone's got to let go. You know, it's a beautiful thing that God even uses their stupidity here. That regardless of their mistake, God uses their situation to further the mission. You know, they, they divided the team... But God used that division, even that division. I mean, we could see this elsewhere, right? Remember when the Jews were supposed to go minister to the Gentiles and they didn't do it? So the persecution ramped up in Jerusalem. And so they had to disperse. And that division of the people ended up working towards a good... They could have avoided that probably. They could have avoided that. But, but, but they didn't. And it just worked out this way. And God used that situation, right, to create disciples. Praise God that he's doing that. That he does that, even in our midst. But listen, it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. You know, there's no reason to excuse or justify immature behavior. Even, you can't say, Paul Barnabas can't say, well, God used, used me, so I guess I was right. You can't justify that. See, learning to deal with people despite our differences is crucial to the ministry. Hearing each other out, finding resolution on how to move forward is easier when we learn to listen to me. Prefer one another. Prefer one another. Romans 12.10, listen. This is the key that unlocks the whole thing. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor 
preferring one another. Miles and I don't have to agree. But I prefer him. So I'm going to let my thing go so we can do his thing. God can sort it out. Right? God can, God can work through that. But I can't, I, can't, I can't stand to live a day, a single day, where Miles would be upset with me. I can't stand that idea. You know, in the end, uh, we're going to learn later on, you know, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, there comes a day where Paul says, look, I don't want to see anybody. This is near the end of his life. He's he's in prison. He's in bonds. And he looks around. He's like, I don't want to see anybody but Mark. Can you believe that? There's a moment in his, I mean, Mark writes a, a book in our Bible, right? I think that the restoration process worked out, Right? But there comes a moment in Paul's ministry where he looks around and he's like, there's no man that I want to see any more than Mark. Listen, Paul was right. Barnabas was right. doesn't matter. We're better. We're better when we die to our stuff and serve and fight. Fight. Not against one another, but we fight for unity. And as we come back together as a ministry... There'll be many flaws. There'll be many mistakes that, mis- that, 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 that I almost said Mr. Briscoe. I went back to the classroom. That Pastor Briscoe makes, right? Right? There'll be mistakes that Sierra makes, that Simon makes, that Brennan makes. There'll be mistakes that we make. We'll have flaws. We'll mess things up. We'll have shortcomings. Listen, as that happens, we can't let it divide us. We've got, we've got a job to do. And God died to make us brethren, to make us family. He died for that work. We can't die to make that work. We can't die to make that work. I think we can. We got work to, we got work to do. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for baloney. Let's die for each other. I love you. I'm telling you right now. I'm going I'm to say it to your face. I want to die to preserve you. I want to prefer you in every regard. I want to give of my resources and my time. I want to strive with everything I have, full of faith, to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ, for you to realize who you're supposed to be in the ministry, for you to grow up. And and listen to me, you've got shortcomings. We can work through that. I've got shortcomings. We can work through that. We've got to fight for it. You hear me? Okay. It's such a small group. I feel like I should ask, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> right? Let's pray. Can we pray? Let's end in worship. Who wants to worship on the way out? I love you guys. I love you uh, who are watching. Uh, I love everybody in this room. Uh, let's continue to fight what God has brought together. Fight for it. And, uh, and continue to pursue the mission. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.